This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Oh, I'm doing good. Alright, sorry, I had a bunch of... I do a weekly fishing report show. I had to pump it up this week because my traffic guy at the small radio station I work at is gone at the end of the week. Normally we do this as like a Thursday, Friday deal, but I had to get done early this week, and then all my guide contributors were trickling in late tonight, so I was like, oh my god, trying oh, to geez. squeeze in dinner. <laughs> long day, huh? <laughs> well, it wasn't really a long day, it's just like, all of a sudden everything was like conspiring right at this moment that I had this podcast planned. But... Oh man, I got you. Well, I'm glad we could do it. It's all good, at least it's, it's you know, at least it's early there for you. <laughs> yeah, I just got home from work. <laughs> and and there, I've, I've already hit the record button, by the way. And there okay. is Alaska. Yep, so Alaska. That's it. Doing something a little more exotic here that my uh, listeners are, are normally used to. You're not the first Alaskan I've had on, so I hate I was going to gonna ask. I yeah. was gonna, I was gonna ask you if you've done had somebody from Alaska before. I have, I have had, I have had somebody from Alaska before, but Alaska is really giant, so there's plenty, plenty, <laughs> plenty of it to go around. Yeah, who who knows how close they were to me? <laughs> exactly. I heard a interesting stat about Alaska, just to put if, in case people weren't aware of just how massive Alaska is. If you cut it in half, like you did, like the North Dakota South Dakota thing, like if you just cut Alaska in half. Texas would still fall to the third biggest state in America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard <laughs> so. um, that it's as big as the next three biggest states put together. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's 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 ridiculously <laughs> massive. Yeah, it's it's like saying you're from Alaska is like I don't know. It's like basically like saying you're from another country. Like how many how many Englands can you fit inside Alaska? You know what I mean? Like that's right. It's just kind of crazy. But yeah, right, well, well, it's even it's even worse when you gotta take a drive halfway across the state and then it takes you twelve hours. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So uh, joining me today is Gunnar Lewis, who I I think I found you on TikTok of all places. Yeah, TikTok. I'm yep. pretty sure. And uh, now I'm per- I've been perusing your um, Instagram page, which for anybody that wants, it looks like it is Gunner underscore 1907. You're really old. <laughs> I think that first one's an L. <laughs> is is oh okay Gunner oh that would make yeah. sense okay Gunner yeah I'm not quite that old L907 <laughs> all right well you know you never know <laughs> you don't yeah. look you look pretty young. But yeah, those uh, what caught my eye was those damn Arctic char, and I was like, "Dude, bucket list fish!" And then then we just started chit chatting after that. But talk to me about the Arctic char over there. Yeah, dude, Arctic char—they are freaking awesome. That's that's how I would describe them. They're <laughs> super cool fish. They're fun to target. They're so like, well, not all of them, but some of them are just so ornate, like. And obviously, if I went out there and I went fish for them and I caught one of the blander ones, we'll use that term, like I would still be excited because yeah. I just love catching new, you know, stuff that I haven't caught before. But if I didn't land one of them just bright orange ones, I would be a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's typically what people are after is the orange ones. But um, you, you just never know what you're going to get when you're fishing for them. Is that typically just the males? Yep. Just the males. Like only the males turn those colors, yep. And I know they get brighter, like, as they get closer to spawn, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that a fall spawn, or is that a, is that a spring spawn? It's, um, they actually spawn in the winter. Um, really? I'm, I'm pretty sure they spawn under the ice, actually, because they, they start turning um just before ice hits so if you're if you're fishing for them like in summer and in the fall they'll they'll all still be that that blander color um and then the males start turning um as the ice hits and then they're they're the orange color typically throughout the winter and then by spring they're they're pretty bland looking again right on so where about in alaska are you seeing as i was so big so so i'm south central so uh, right around wasilla one of the bigger towns uh just north of anchorage okay anchorage i was like wasilla is not helping me with anchorage okay now i have i have (laughs) i have a point of reference now okay most people know anchorage yeah i'm just about an hour outside of anchorage how's the weather there today um today we're actually having one of our very few bright clear sunny days um we don't have too many of those in the winter so we're enjoying some sunlight right now. That usually means really cold here, sunshine in the wintertime for us. Is, is it cold for you? What's the temperature? It is cold. It's um, I think we're in the teens today, but, yeah, it usually feels a little bit crispier when that sun's out. You son of a bitch. I'm not sure we got above zero today as I record this. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Northern Minnesota. Oh, yeah, I feel we, lucky. Yeah, we're, we're in a cold snap. That's kind of the really first real big cold snap we've had all winter. Um, our ice yeah. conditions have just been terrible down here this year. Like we, it, it started go, good, we got really cold really fast. I, I was like, oh, good, we'll get a nice base of ice before the snow hits, 
and then the snow hit and we just got way too much like it was just like three yeah. big snow events like boom 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 and next thing you know slush and all sorts of just terrible traveling conditions it's it's been a nightmare this year but um, yeah that yeah. sounds pretty much exactly like what happened up here same oh, thing really? we got we got dumped on a whole bunch of snow all at once and then it flooded the lakes with the overflow and so we yeah we've had a very similar situation up here right on and perusing your instagram i saw like you've got some like bass stuff you're down in that lake powell yeah yeah i fish lake powell i'm uh i've also spent a lot of time living in arizona so okay all right and did you live near arizona or i mean yeah live lake lake powell i mean in arizona <laughs> sorry an idiot oh you're good um yeah i lived in flagstaff uh, last year, actually, so I was only like two and a half hours from Lake Powell. Wow! So where are you originally from? Um, uh, well, that's kind of hard to say for me. We moved around a lot. <laughs> you too, I, huh? <laughs> I yeah. I was born in New Mexico, um, and then all growing up, we just kind of bounced back and forth between Arizona and Alaska multiple times. So, oh, okay. I, I think so that's, that's, that's what yeah. I was kind of trying to figure out. I was like, because the the pictures were kind of going back and forth i'm like this guy either he's doing both or he's just posting at really weird times <laughs> I, I couldn't yeah quite get a handle on it just by going off of uh off of the pictures there but um so let's dig deeper into these arctic chars so did you grow up fishing those things or is this kind of a new adventure for you um it's I, I caught them when I was young. You know, my dad's obviously been taking me fishing for a long time. And so I remember catching them when I was like 10 years old, living in Anchorage, you know, but I didn't start really like diving into the whole targeting Arctic char species until maybe three or four winters ago. Um, when I was, you know, 15, 16, started becoming a more prominent fisherman. And then so, yeah, about three, four years ago, I started targeting them a lot more, and then this year has been has been a very good year for me. I've finally started to get on them a lot better, start getting some of the big ones and stuff. And how do you go about like targeting them? What's what? Talk to me about the fish as a species. Like, what are their their habits, their traits? Um, they they are a very difficult fish to catch um these these lake dwelling ones here um and so they're very sensitive to the conditions the barometric pressure affects them a lot and temperature and everything so um what i've learned over the years is to just pay a lot of attention to the conditions um and so a lot of things i fish are like the big shallow feeding flats uh weed edges steep drop-offs and then um, sometimes the conditions will force them down into deep water so they, they do spend a lot of time in deeper water when they're a little bit harder to catch but yeah they they, they kind of move all all around depending on the conditions and when you're you're heading out so you're look you said you're looking at like deep break lines um is a little i guess do you have lake trout where you're at is it are they somewhat similar to lake trout they're actually very similar um lake trout are in the char family so they're very close relatives um and so in the summertime char spend a lot of their time in like i mean I, i've jigged up char in the summer out of like 50 feet of water 
Wow. So, yeah. And, yeah, they are very closely uh, related to lake trout. Yeah, as are brook trout, actually. Yep, brook trout. Yep. Yeah, that's a a thing um, a lot of people here in Minnesota might not be aware of because they're called brook trout. But, well, much like lake trout are called trout. But, they uh, they actually are in that char family. Uh, yeah. The other thing some people might can might confuse them with is a Dolly Varden. Do you have Dolly Varden where you're at too? We do. Yeah, most of our most of our rivers have them. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, and I probably am. But Dolly Varden, they make kind of the voyage to the sea like salmon do. Do Arctic char do that, or are they more of a lake run species? Is that kind of what separates um, the two? Arctic char. So the whole situation with uh dollies and arctic char it's kind of confusing um but from my understanding the dollies do live in the rivers and run out to sea um and arctic char will do that as well up north like on in the arctic you know that's up there on the the top coastline of alaska they'll run out to sea as well okay um but these ones that we have down here are lake dwelling arctic char so almost like Almost like if a steelhead got caught in a lake and then they just ended up staying in the lake. I think in the last ice age, some of these Arctic char ended up getting caught in the lakes, and then we ended up with lake dwelling Arctic char. Okay, because they so, do they spawn in fresh water, I believe, like in the lakes. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Those the ones that are are sea run. Yeah, they'll they'll they go into the fresh water and spawn. And so we have we have sea run Arctic char and we have lake dwelling oh, Arctic char as well. So Did it's they... it's very. Do they look different? Um, they do. The the sea run arctic charges get a lot bigger, um, way bigger than the lake dwelling ones, and then they typically will have a little bit of blue on them, along with the orange. But other than that, I mean, they're pretty much the same. And I'll have to. And so that sounds like it's pretty much a year-round fishery. Um, yeah. How does that change? Like, if somebody's. Um, not very many people visit Alaska in the winter, but <laughs> I get a lot <laughs> no. of summertime uh, tourism. Like if somebody wanted to chase uh, char in the summer, like what would would they be doing that deep jigging? Is that what they would be at, or like when is that run? Yeah, it, it most likely would be deep jigging. Um, the, you know, as you know, trout and any you know any fish similar to trout are very temperature sensitive, so. Anytime it's warmer out, they're going to be down deep. So throughout most of the summer, it would be deeper jigging. I'm I'm typically around twenty to thirty feet jigging in the summer. So wow, and you're and like specifically targeting them. Like that's you're going out in July, and like I'm going char fishing. That's like what you're doing. It's not a bike yeah. or anything like that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> I just get the get the itch for an arctic char, and I just have to go out. I gotta think one of the hardest things. In Alaska, it would be choosing what to do because <laughs> you've got <laughs> all sorts of different salmon species, right? At the oh yeah, coho, chinook, pink, uh, sockeye. Am I missing any? I don't know. Like those... um, yeah, we got we got five up here. Yeah, pink chums. Chum, there it and, is. And chum, that's the last one. That's yep. the one I was missing. Yep. And then you got halibut. You got all the rockfish. You got. Uh, yeah, just great stuff to be had in the actual ocean. Um, good lord! And then all the hunting. I see you do some caribou hunting as well. Yeah, we we do do a lot of 
caribou um and i i try to hunt in arizona as much as i can as well but yeah we we typically try to get at least a couple caribou every year you know i saw uh, one of your posts uh, i swear to god it said something about nothing i'd rather do and i think it was in the spring is there like a more spring season for caribou um yeah actually we we do have a hunt that sometimes is open in March up north. And so th this last year it was open, so we were able to do it. Um, me and my younger brother both got caribou. And it's they have quotas up here. So basically it opens in the fall, and they have a certain number that they need killed, basically. And okay. so if, it, if it's not met, um, they'll leave it open all the way through March. And so I assume... They don't have antlers that time of year, do they? Yeah. Um, oh, they didn't have dropped them yet. They a lot of them have dropped in March. Oh, they so. can. Oh, they have. Okay. All right. Yep. That that would make so, yeah, more when, sense to me. <laughs> yeah, when you're doing that March hunt, like if you happen to shoot a, a big bull, typically it'll be an antlerless bull. An so. antlerless bull. Is it a like an is it an antlerless hunt? Like can can you shoot a cow? Yeah, a lot of yeah, most caribou hunts are open to cows. If the uh, population of the uh, specific herd is struggling then sometimes they'll do bull only um but if it's open in march it's it's usually either sex so. yeah that was going to be my follow-up question i was like well i would assume in the years where the population isn't great then maybe they wouldn't they just don't have the spring hunt then yeah usually if the population's struggling i mean some years we get very low quotas where it's a, a very low number of like bulls only no, I have, heard, I have heard, and I've never had it, but I, for, like, what people say elk is to deer, like whitetail, as far as table quality goes, I've heard that, like, caribou is another step up. Is that true? Um, Yeah, I would agree with that. Caribou is, is, is pretty – I mean, I, I love it. It's delicious. Well, I love whitetail. So, I mean, <laughs> I love pretty much all wild games. So, it's – Oh, uh, right. And I've only had elk a few times, so I don't even know if I can fairly give that uh, comparison. But, yeah, when then somebody said – but I know people rave about elk. But then I, I did hear a few people saying, they're like, dude, I would trade, you know, I'd trade two elk for one caribou. And I was like, that's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> yeah, they're – I mean, they're good. It's a different kind of meat. They're very, very lean. Um, I think it's I think it's just about the most protein lean kind of meat that you can get. And so it's – it's just it's super good for like like a a backstrap steak from a caribou is just I mean absolutely delicious. Jones for it. I had I had a a boring ass beef steak for dinner tonight. <laughs> now, now I'm talking <laughs> oh, about wild man. game. God bless America. Man, I don't remember the last time I had beef. Oh, I know I don't eat it. I don't eat it often. I really don't. Um, I just happen to have one in the freezer. I'm like I set that out. Like my freezer. Primarily, well, I didn't get a deer this year, so I don't really have much for venison in there. What I have is primarily oh, cool. goose. I do oh. a lot of goose hunting, so. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah that's something I wanted to get a little more into is, is goose hunting. Yeah, well, I, I wonder what that's like up there in, in old Alaska. I know a lot. it's a destination place for a lot of people for more of the exotic waterfall, like your eiders yeah. and harlequins and uh, long-tailed ducks and uh, First, the emperor goose—that's a big one. That's like super coveted tag. Oh yeah, you can get one of those. Man, those things are awesome looking. Not, They're crazy. Yeah, I'm a big waterfowler, so I'm drawn. That that would be a 
absolute bucket list for me. Like, yeah, man, I can't imagine those things are crazy looking. Yeah, I've done a lot of waterfowl hunting in Arizona. Um, which unfortunately, I just sounds, I haven't gotten into it up here. Which just sounds weird to hear, right? <laughs> like we <you> don't. <laughs> I'm in the don't... paradise. <laughs> yeah, you just don't think you just don't equate Arizona with duck hunting for the most part. But I know people have done. I know people do it successfully. Um, it's it's more of cattle pond hopping than than anything in Arizona. But you yeah, know, we we work what we got. It's really isolated. Um, a buddy of mine, he actually he we produce a uh, we actually do a waterfall Wednesday episode of this podcast every week and he went down to Arizona one year and I think he was like in the western part of the state and there's just like it's crazy you put in the town name and I don't remember what it is now and it's like some refuge out there and you put it in a Google Earth and your Google Maps and you know it zooms into it and it's just desert 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 and there's just literally like this oasis along this river edge that's just all green and I'm sure they Hmm. irrigate and there's agriculture there and stuff and there's like a refuge there and I guess they can hunt. There's like blinds. You got to put a draw in for it and do it. It was crazy. It like blew my mind. I was like, this is just the wildest thing I've <laughs> ever heard of. Cause yeah. like, like I said, you don't think Arizona and duck hunting like at all. Like that's. Bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. You think desert, think desert when you think of Arizona, but yeah, we, I mean, we get some ducks, definitely not, not the best state for it, but I mean, I've enjoyed the waterfowl hunting I've done down there. We we like to try and target some of those cooler species. We get pintails and you know uh, canvasbacks and some of those. Oh, nice! Is that some up of there, those cool? Like in the Flagstaff area? Yeah, Flagstaff. We um, up in Flagstaff, it's mostly just like I said, pond hopping. But we do get decent amount of birds through there. A lot of geese hang out in Flagstaff um, when they're when they're moving through. So, huh. Interesting. Again, did not know that. Um, going back to ice fishing here, you also got uh, one of my other favorite fish that I just don't get to target as much. You got the old burbot there, the eel pout. Oh yeah, I love burbot. Yeah, they're 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 super fun. I love the way they look, and you get you're getting the pretty ones up there too. Um, yeah, ours are real patterned. They get they get that leopard print kind of yeah pattern they, on them. They look super cool. So we yeah no we, I. So, I um sorry. I target burbot. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. I um I target burbot probably just as much as I target char. I spend a lot of time out just in my burbot holes fishing for them. That's cool. That's very cool, actually. Yeah, here in uh in Minnesota, we got a, quite a few lakes that they look really cool like that. But then like, um, there's really big ones that come out of Lake of the Woods, which is right on the Minnesota Canada border. But though for whatever reason, they're just not colored up on that. They're just dull gray olive brown like just they're really drab now you can catch some absolute giants um but yeah they just don't have that cool paint job and yeah i'd rather catch a smaller one with a cool paint job if i'm being brutally honest <laughs> yeah that that's weird i wonder what i wonder what causes that, that if it's color. just the deep water or maybe it's a little murkier water maybe i'm guessing um yeah, yeah i'm maybe not they're eating yeah, I'm not. I'm not really entirely sure. So when you're going, obviously, when you're going after burbot, you're completely different technique as when you're going for char. Like, do you catch both, or do you ever catch both at the same time? Um, 
I, I occasionally do. Like I, I've caught actually a lot of burbot kind of by surprise when I'm fishing for char or sometimes even when I'm fishing for rainbows, I'll get a random burbot. Um, but that's usually later in the year, like in March, they start heading up towards the shallower water to spawn. And, right. um, and then sometimes at night, like if, if you're fishing real early in the morning or real late at night, they'll slither up a little bit shallower and you can get, get a random one here and there, but typically they're deeper. They do seem to like those steep breaks too. So I can, I can see how that might, might happen. What kind of gear are you using for the char? Like rods, length, uh, weight, line, like walk us through the yeah, gear. Yeah. So, so, um, I usually run around a 30 inch rod. Um, I like a medium, um, something with a decent backbone, but you know, a little bit of play in the, in the end, um, because, the the female char, those big females, they, they like to go on huge runs. So it's very similar to a lake trout, you know, like they'll go on a few big runs before you can get them up. And so those female char do the same thing. So I like a, a round 30 inch medium rod with a good backbone. Um, I usually run eight pound tests or 10 pound tests. I'm typically using mono and then um, just a smaller size reel i typically i like daiwas um, like a 1000 size iowa spinning reel and um yeah then tube jigs is kind of my favorite favorite lure to target them they just seem to really bite the tube jig better than anything else another similarity with lake trout there are you ever tipping it with any bait or is it just not needed um occasionally i do if you know a lot of times with the char the bite will kind of just turn on out of where and they'll just be biting everything so you know a lot of times i don't need it and then um some of the lakes i fish you can't use bait so like big lake is the main place i'm catching them and so big lake you're not allowed to use bait okay which can be a little more difficult sometimes but sure and on lakes where you can like what are your other restrictions are they, like how many rods can you use is it two um, lines we, we, one line yeah we can have two lines okay um so sometimes I'll set a jaw jacker out and um, I don't seem to get too many char on the jaw jacker. Uh, I usually will get like rainbows and sometimes even burbot will come set my jaw jacker off. Are there uh pike in those lakes as well or no? Yes. There yeah. Is. Okay. Um, God, the struggle for us to keep pike out of lakes up here. <laughs> really? Yeah. They, they invade everywhere. Um, I don't know if it's just, because we're so far north, the the conditions are good for them. Um, but it happens all the time. Fishing game really cracks down on them up here. You're not allowed to to release them alive, uh, pretty much anywhere. The, are are they getting in there by their own, or are people doing the old bucket biology thing? Are people you know dumping them in there on purpose, or like how are they getting in there? That's the question. I mean, it's 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 hard to know. I mean, we do have a lot of like down here in South Central, a lot of our, our land is swampy. And there's like little sloughs that connect a lot of the lakes. Um, so it, it's very possible for them to kind of just slither around and, and creep into lakes on their own. And we have a lot of float plane traffic. And so people think that um, people think that float planes are a big contributor to it with the water in their floats. I've heard that. Wow. So, so wait, whoa, hold on. We need to explore this a little bit. How... <laughs> How is a, so 
apparently I'm just ignorant about float float planes. Do they <laughs> take water in their pontoons? Yeah. So yeah, from what I understand is is when they land, they'll suck in some water, and you know, obviously pike spawn shallow. So I I've heard a lot of people say that that they think that when they land, they suck in some water and suck in you know some pike eggs, and then they'll fly halfway across the state to another lake and land and then um end up putting pike eggs into a lake that's it seemed it seems weird to me too but i've heard it a lot (laughs) that sounds i'm sorry but that sounds ridiculous um yeah i need to learn a little bit more about how these float planes work like i had i just assumed that they were like a pontoon on a boat with an enclosed system i mean that's kind of the whole point like why 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 would you have a float system that would take on water? I'm really struggling with that. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, some people might even just think that the eggs stick to the outside of the pontoon or, I mean, who knows, but I I guess that's a little more like makes more sense in my brain. And again, I'm completely ignorant of float planes. Maybe they do take on some water for balancing or a ballast or something. I don't know, but it seems odd to me. it's a it's a crazy theory when you hear it, but I've heard a lot of people talk about float planes hitting a lake and putting pike in it. Um, but well, who? I mean, I'm sure there are people that do the old bucket biology, and like I said, I'm sure some of the lakes get get pike slithering in through sloughs and and different things. Or an eagle might drop one or something like that. But um, yeah, that seems pretty rare too. But. Um... Now I know like like pike will spawn in shallow and swampy areas, especially if there's you know uh, high water runoff in the spring. They'll run up and they'll spawn in just a ditch, you know, like that that happens. So if you have high water, I could see them, you know, if they're all connected waterway, it seems like you're probably just getting natural population influx. And uh, yeah, in which case I'm a little surprised then then that the game and fish would go so hard on them. Like, wouldn't that be in that just what happens? But I'm sure yeah. pike can do a number on the on the population because they're going to love to eat those things. Yeah, they, I think the reason Game and Fish just hates them so much up here is because they have wiped out a lot of lakes. Um, even in recent years, I mean, there's lakes that less than 10 years ago were were had trout swimming around in them, and now they're just pike lakes, no trout left at all. Um, they've wiped out a lot of lakes up here, um, and a, and a couple of big ones even. Um, one of the lakes that I fish very um, regularly for pike in the summer is uh, Red Shirt Lake in Willow, Alaska, and uh, it used to have big natural rainbow trout and burbot in it actually, and then it got flooded with pike, and now you can't catch anything but a pike in that lake. <sighs> What are they eating otherwise? I mean, there's got to be some sort of bait fish in there then. Cisco's yeah. or whitefish. There's, or... there's actually um, a lot of food. There's tons of little mice and voles, and they will actually eat a lot of those along with little frogs. We have this these little species of frog up here that get maybe, maybe a couple inches long, um, and they live out in those swampy areas. And so, like, I, I've caught a couple of pike out of that lake over the years and cut them open and pulled out mice and frogs out of their belly. Crazy. Yeah. That many mice up there. 
<laughs> yeah, it, I I couldn't believe it either. The first time I, I cut cut one of them open and pulled out, there was like two mice, a couple of frogs in his belly, and it just like blew my mind. I was it was nuts. So then I started using topwater frogs and topwater mice. Yeah, I was gonna say time to break out the fly rod with those mouse patterns and have a blast. Yeah, I, yeah that's all I do now. Out there is like, I I go out and throw topwater frogs and and mice and dude, yeah, they they just smoke them. Oh man, that would be so much fun. You would you oh, yeah. think once they get in there, it might be a pain in the ass as far as uh, game and fishing is concerned, but it seems to me in my experience that when you have a lake that has pike and any kind of salmonid species in there, the pike grow fast and big. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and a lot of the lakes they get into game and fish uh will stock and sometimes they'll just keep stocking the lake, even though there's pike in there. And so, I mean, there's a lake pretty close to my house, actually, that that got pike in it. And they stock it with hatchery-grown Arctic char. Um, and they put little 10 inches in there, and they, they keep stocking it. And those pike, some of those pike in there just munch on those little 10-inch char, and they get huge. So now it has... Some, some some char and a lot of huge pike. Giant pike. Well, match the hatch. Throw some sort of lure that looks like a char. A ten inch ten inch swim bait <laughs> sounds like the perfect thing to use. Right. <laughs> yeah. If I had to guess, uh, that'd be my go to bait right there. That's yeah. nuts. You know, there's another I, crazy weird uh, theory. I, don't know if it's, I guess it's a theory, hypothesis, whatever. I know they've done some research on ducks transporting fish. I, I don't know if they've done experiments with other other fish fish species but i know with carp what they have found because ducks love to eat uh carp eggs in the spring when they're spawning right but what they've found is that some of those carp eggs are able to make it completely through the duck's digestive system and still be viable so hmm. what ends up happening obviously is ducks go in there they gorge themselves on these carp eggs they fly off to another pond to go relax to something that didn't have carp and next thing you know you got carp so i wonder if i would assume if it happens with carp it probably happens with a lot of different fish species yeah so yeah that's the definitely... reason that maybe the ducks are spreading the pike around and not float planes that seems more not... logical <laughs> to me <laughs> right yeah that that's definitely a real possibility we we definitely have a lot of ducks up here um and i know that pike eggs are, are pretty resilient um and pike uh, when a big big female pike spawns they lay a lot of eggs so and you would think early in the spring like now we're going down a conspiracy rabbit hole here but i mean not really but <laughs> you would think in the spring like uh pike are one of the first ones to spawn um, a lot of times they spawn, I guess I can't speak for up there, but I know down here before the ice is even really off the lakes, but the, the streams and rivers are running and they're ice free. The Northern Pike have already, they're already going up the streams and spawning. So it's going to be one of the, as ducks come back up from the South, it's going to be one of the first food sources that they really find. Cause there's not going to be anything green really growing yet. It's not going to be much for bugs. There's no crops. So. Yeah, that I mean that definitely sounds like a very um, legitimate legitimate reason right there why the pike would be moving. Um, more reasonable than the float plane thing probably. 
to the ear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for my mind, for sure. I mean, I know that, like I said, I know there has been study on carp eggs, so it's not, I'm not just like pulling this out of my butt. Like this is a real legit thing. I don't know if they have done the experiment on other species, fish eggs, maybe carp are just more durable or not. I, I, that, that I have no idea, but one has to assume that like, like these fish over the course of time, have gotten to all these other waterways somehow, right? Like how, like yeah. just before man invented seaplanes, right? So, right. like, how did that happen, right? There has to be some other natural mechanism at work here, whether yeah. it's giant flooding yeah. or I don't know what. Probably multiple things, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And and me personally, um, I, I love catching pike, so. I do a lot of pike fishing in the summer. So, I mean, when a lake gets pike in it, I'm like, I'm the guy that's like, well, shoot, who cares? You know, I'd rather catch a, a huge pike than a 10 inch. Yeah. Pike are are a ton of fun, especially when they get big to to catch. Yeah. So that's why like that bucket biology is probably also could potentially be a likely source. Cause I can definitely see somebody that's just like, I don't give a rat's ass about those char. You know, I just like fishing yeah. for shore, and I like catching big northerns, and it's like dump, dump, dump. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> people yeah. do that. I mean, they just do. It's a, it's for whatever reason, it's a thing. You know? Yeah, and um, they the, the pike, in my opinion, kind of work well in these lakes that I fish with the Arctic char because, I mean, pike aren't really gonna do anything to a to a thirty inch Arctic char, you know, and. Same thing with like the big burbot and stuff, and right. so the pets that are in these those lakes are eating a lot of the smaller fish, you know, like the younger Arctic char, which I feel like just creates better habitat for those bigger Arctic char. You know, you know, when you have a lake that has a million little tiny Arctic char in it, it's kind of hard for them to grow as big. So those we have big pike in these lakes that eat a lot of the smaller ones, which make more room for the bigger fish to to thrive um and so you know I, I when i catch some of the smaller pike in my lakes that i fish for arctic char i'll kill them um but i usually don't target the big pike just because i mean they they work well you know they they don't destroy the ecosystem in, in these lakes that i fish yeah the big pike um you know they eat one big meal every now and again you know it, the the pike as far as predators, ones that do the most damage are they're kind of that like mid twenty range to like low thirties. They're the eating machines. They're the ones that are just like they're just eating nonstop anything that'll fit in their mouth. Yeah. Um, and those are the ones that yeah you need to, you need to take those out. Um, and it's just yeah. seems like in lakes here, like the lake where I'm at in northern minnesota here with so so many of that smaller size that they're so annoying like they're just not funny <laughs> yeah. it's like oh my god just another hammer handle you know just another right. little 20 inch you're like would you just stop stop stealing yeah. my bass jigs that's what i really want you to do <laughs> right tear up, tear up your swim and stuff yep you fly you, you know you cast <laughs> it there flipping there whatever you feel a little bite you set the hook and there's just nothing there you're just like Ugh. right I'll have to uh, send you a video in that lake out there, Red Shirt Lake. You can catch those little frogs by hand. You know, if you just if you see something, you can grab them. Mm-hmm. And I've taken videos before of th- 
throwing them out in the lake and some of those shallower bays where the little pike hang out. And I've done it a bunch of times, and I don't think any of those frogs have ever lasted more than 10 seconds. Oh, you throw them out in the water, and within 10 seconds, a little pike will come up and just slurp them up. Oh, and, uh, wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to send you the, one of those videos. It's, it's the craziest thing. Like It just shows you how like how keen they are on that food source. When you throw one of those guys in, they just munch it. I mean, sorry for the frogs, but I, I feel like I would personally put an impact on the local population of frogs because I would have an absolute ball doing that <laughs> and just watching it. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Fill up a water bottle with them or something. Yes, just sit there. <laughs> I'd take my break, lunch break down there, and I would just have a bucket of frogs and just be tossing them out there. You know, <laughs> it's a splash. fun thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Poor frogs. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, frogging down there, artificial frogs, God, that'd be fun. I mean, there's not much. In the fishing realm, there's not much that's more fun than a topwater bait of any kind for any fish. I don't even care. Like that's just that's that's yeah. a fun bite. Absolutely, yeah. That visual 100%. strike, yeah, that dude. That's 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 where it's at. How big do these char get? Like, what's what's a respectable char, and then what's like an absolute giant? Um. Yeah. So typically, if you get anything like in between 25 and 30 inches that's a very respectable char and then if you hit 30 inches and over that's that's your your monster range um we call it the 30 inch club around here okay so 30 inch catch- would kind of be would kind of be the benchmark like if i went there for a trophy trip that's what i'm i'm looking for a 30 incher yeah if you wanted like a a mount worthy fish um yeah 30 inches is is the 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 monster range that's like your 50 inch muskie or okay that's yeah that's a monster how realistic like how many trips am i gonna have to make how many hours am i gonna have to log to (laughs) to get that 30 incher well like, like i said before they they can be very difficult to catch and they usually are so um, that might take you a lot of trips to get the 30. Um, <laughs> Do they, but, you know, closer they spawn, does it get better? Kind of, you know, like a lot of other fish or no? Not really. I okay. mean, like I said, they're very sensitive to the conditions. So if you want good fishing, you just gotta, you just gotta be here when the, the pressure and the temperature and everything is just right and they're feeding. I would also want a pretty one. I mean, that's the other thing. I, I feel like I would sacrifice a little bit of size-wise. Like, if I were to head out there, for sure in my mind, I'm like, a successful trip for me would be getting, I would say, something in the upper 20-inch range that's all colored up, something that I can get a good replica made. And Yeah, I would, absolutely. Like, for me here, like, to get a walleye on the wall for me, I need, I'm same thing, 30 inches. That's my, like, that's my basement to put a to a wall put a walleye on the wall and i haven't caught one of those i've gotten so much claw i think my biggest is like 27 and three quarters or something like that so and then that's still a nice fish when you get your hands on it you start questioning (laughs) your (laughs) your your minimum requirements and then you're just like no i gotta i gotta i gotta stick to it but part of it knowing that i just can't fish for char whenever i want because it's going to be you know, likely a one-off trip if I ever get to do it. Uh, 
I, would, I think I would have to acquiesce a little. I think I would bring my minimum requirement down a little bit. Yeah, and and that's something where like as long as you get one one of one of the males that's orange, I mean I mean even like a 25 or 26 incher that's orange, it that's mount worthy. I mean, I'm actually I'm getting one mounted right now. I've already put a down payment down to a taxidermist and it's 26 inches. So, not the 30 incher, but it, it's like the most perfect orange good looking male nice. i've ever caught. i mean it's it was nice and fat and had you know the colors were like it was like a blinding kind of orange and so it's not even the biggest one i've caught but i'm i'm pulled the trigger on that one i'm hopefully gonna get them out here this right. year are you doing a skin mount or a replica replica okay i, I feel like that's the way to go with those salmonids because they're so oily they seem to yeah. turn out better um, yeah, bright orange is. I think it'll look good as a. Oh God, they're they're living pieces of art, man. Those things are just, they're so they're cr- amazing. Yeah, they're they're insane. And when you when you pull one out and have it in your hands, it's it's almost like you never feel worthy holding a fish like that. <laughs> it's so beautiful, and you know, and then hard to catch too. I mean, it takes takes time to get one like that. So. Right on. Yeah. Well, God, man, I need to. I mean, I've been wanting to go to Alaska for a long time for many reasons. Like I said, go, like I said earlier, like the hardest part for me would be like, what the hell am I going to do? I want to hunt. I want to fish. I want to ocean fish. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I want to catch shrimp. shrimp. I want to catch crabs. I want to, you know, I want to do the whole deal. But yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing is just trying to figure out what to do. And yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff all summer long. You do any other kind of big game hunting up there? Do you ever go for moose or anything like that? So are you are you a full time resident of Alaska? Yeah, I am. Okay. I, I was living in Arizona um, in twenty twenty one, but I moved back up here to start guiding. Actually, so yeah, oh, I'm, I'm full. Very nice. Okay, and so yeah, yeah, hopefully by next winter. By next winter, I was gonna just ask you. I'm like, oh, so you're guiding for these things? So next winter, you'll be. You'll be guiding. So when, like, when would you recommend coming for, like, if you're targeting char, what is, like, the perfect calendar date to make that trick? Um, perfect calendar date. Uh, early ice is usually when a lot of the real nice char get pulled out, uh, the real nice orange ones. So uh, up here, I mean, I would say end of November, maybe beginning of December okay. when that a little bit thinner um it has a lot less ice fishing traffic because the roads aren't plowed yet on the lakes and then those those the orange on those fish is usually really good early early ice like december um and so yeah i would say about end of november beginning of december Okay, I'll have to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, you know a guy now. So. I, I do. I know a guy for sure. You know, <laughs> uh, we'll work something out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Not that I need much excuse to get me to Alaska. And again, that, what else is there to do in Alaska at that time? I feel like that's like in the heart of hunting season. That's gonna be. I want to be so conflicted. Um, so, like for you, like what? What's a? What would be like a resident moose tag? Is it not? Is it expensive? Because I know for like non-red, like a moose in Alaska is like crazy expensive for yeah, for me to do. Yeah, most of the 
most of the um, like harvest ticket tags we use up here, like over the counter tags, are free. So for residents, if you want to go pick up a moose tag or a bear tag or caribou tag, typically it's free. You just show up at Walmart and say, "Hey, I need a moose tag," and they write it out and give it to you. So all of the over the counter tags are free for residents. That's it. I'm moving to Alaska. Screw this. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> what? I can get it's a crazy. free moose tag? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're if you're a resident. Um, non-resident, yeah, it's very expensive for one of those over-the-counter tags. I think a, a brown bear, grizzly bear tag is like two or three grand. Yeah, I think it's like five grand for like a – well, I mean, this five. is Yukon Territories, which I guess isn't Alaska. It's Canada, but, uh, you know – a Yukon moose is like, I think, five grand at least. Yeah, sounds about right. And yeah, and obviously, if we uh, draw a hunt, we still got to pay the draw tag. But it's it's nothing more than just any other any other state's fees usually. That's bonkers, Pretty... dude. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's just absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, well, we got the animals up here, and and a lot of people, you know, need meat and stuff. So I I think it's just. It just we have the land and the animals up here, so yeah, you can go get a get a tag and do just about anything you want for free. Have you had any interest in in chasing those doll sheep? It's on my radar, but not not yet. I mean, I'm sure at some point in the next few years, I'll probably probably go for one. Um, I've kind of always wanted a mountain goat, a little more than a doll sheep. Okay, and I don't know. I don't know why. Their Maybe coats just... are cool, for sure. You know, I, yeah. would, I would have to say for me, like, well, I would love to do both, but uh, the coats are cooler on the mountain goats, but I, the headgear is more impressive on the doll sheep. Yeah, and that's like a, that's like a something that every every Alaskan needs to do at some point is go get themselves a nice full curl doll sheep. Yeah. So I'm sure I will at some point. And that, I mean, you're you're a young fella. You're young and spry. Like they talk about that sheep getting in sheep shape. You know, like chasing those things. It's not easy. I, you know, I've watched a, yeah. a read articles and watched a fair amount of shows on it. And you know, weather can just screw you. You know, you get up there and you just you have a let's say you have a five day hunt and it's just like absolutely fogged out for four of those days and you just can't see yep. shit and you're just stuck at camp because there's nothing you can do. <laughs> like, yeah, that would be so yeah. brutal. Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, a good friend of mine has a a big outfitters business and does a lot of sheep guiding. Um, so my my dad actually is one of his assistant guides, so he does some hunts for him. Um, and they've even had a lot of issues just the last couple of years of the sheep populations getting super low um, from sickness and just different things. Um, Eagles, a lot of young sheep actually. Really. Uh, yeah, they eagles will affect sheep populations too sometimes. So that's something that they're struggling with the past couple of years is just finding sheep. Wow, I had no idea. I'd never heard that. We get all kinds of crazy conspiracies up here. Oh, oh I bet. <laughs> oh, my God. That could be a pastime in and of itself. Just go into a local pub somewhere and just start stirring the pot about different <laughs> you can start light you know before you get too inebriated with the, the plains and northern pike and then work your way into the <laughs> like what what are the crazy conspiracy theories about 
reasons the doll sheep numbers are down. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They and uh, sickness is something that that affected him a lot too. Is the a lot of them got sick, and so yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle so for them. What's the crazy conspiracy theory about him? Like, what do people think? The doll sheep. Yeah. Um. Well. The, the eagles is is one thing that people think um when they're when the doll sheep are young uh eagles will basically like grab them and throw them down you know down a cliff i have seen uh, some videos maybe not with bald eagles but i know like I, i've seen it with like big golden eagles and stuff like that yeah yeah and then that's what i've heard about the doll sheep is with the bald eagles like they'll grab the the well, i don't know what you call a baby sheep be a lamb lamb that's right okay yeah so they'll, they'll grab a little lamb and, and fly them out and just drop them uh, and then they got their food right and so that that's the conspiracy theory i've heard okay for... there's just too many eagles people are saying there's just too many eagles that kind of thing yeah okay. yeah and they're out the sheep so Similar. that's a little probably a little more believable than a float plane yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit <laughs> um i don't know that i don't i mean man i feel like if it was that big of a problem, I feel like you could take a weekend and go out there with a spotting scope and watch it happen. You know what I mean? Like if it was common enough yeah. to affect the population, I feel like that would be an easy, not even conspiracy. Like just, a, I feel like that's a, a relatively easy theory to prove with with minimal right. work. Um, Definitely easier to prove than a than a float plane. That's <laughs> than, than a float plane. Uh, that one is that's pretty entertaining actually um, well i'm gonna have a little more research into that now <laughs> yeah i well we'll do a follow-up because <laughs> right. i'm actually gonna go down that rabbit hole myself i've never heard a float plane uh being the reason <laughs> for for fish now i've heard like um maybe not going into other well wouldn't be going into other lakes but like um firefighters you know those planes that go down and they scoop water out of a lake and they dump them on a, a wildfire no oh yeah i've heard crazy stories of you know like finding fish hanging in trees and you know and they're like well it's probably from that but i guess it also mm. could be from an eagle caught a, a fish and put it in the tree now there's a crazy ass urban legend about like a scuba diver being found dead in a tree before and huh yeah whether that actually happened or not, no idea. Probably not. <laughs> but I have, I've heard the story multiple times. So you know how those urban legends go. But you know, some guys yeah. out there diving for whatever, and the plane comes along and scoops them up. I don't know. Don't, yeah, I don't that, know how believable <laughs> that is either. But might your kids. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's yeah, that's crazy though. Yeah, that is that is pretty wild stuff. Uh, so you're starting guiding next year, hopefully. That seems yeah. to be your plan. What's that's the goal? Yeah, and is that's going to be mostly uh, ice fishing then, or you do it in the summertime too? Um, I'm going to start out in the ice fishing season, and then I'll probably do some some summer stuff as well. Do you move uh, around? Do you move around a lot when you're on the ice? Are you doing a lot of hole hopping? Or are you kind of like sticking? staying put in one spot or using portable ice houses or anything like that shelters or are you just out there on the ice i usually do a lot of moving around okay. um 
I like to hit different spots. I like to try a lot of new spots, you know, as often as I can. Um, the only times I'll really sit is when the fish are in those shallow feeding flats. Um, Cause then, you know, they're just up there cruising around eating. So when I know they're up there in the shallow flats, I'll, I'll put a tent up and sit. I'll sit all day, you know, so in the same spot, you know? Okay. Um, what kind of electronics are you using? Um, right now I just have a, cheap little sonar um the, the garmin striker 4 that you know the okay. one they sell it and then i have a little aqua view camera um that's that's all i'm using right now i'm gonna buy a new sonar here in a couple months um i'm gonna get one of the garments that has the eco mapping feature so that i can map out a couple of these lakes so i have good uh bathymetric maps mm. and do the your own uh, charting you're gonna do that in the summertime i assume run around the boat yeah. and chart it out there that's pretty wicked that'd be pretty fun um, yeah that, yeah good good excuse to go out and fish <laughs> yeah because you need one of those <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> finding an excuse yeah. to fish is not uh that's that's not too hard that's not too hard <laughs> yeah i would think so you haven't dabbled in the world of like the um forward-facing sonars like the um live scope and stuff like that yeah not not yet i would like to like to get one eventually for sure yeah, um you and me both <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a guy who guides on on my lake locally here who uses one to target big char um and so he's figured out how to use that forward facing sonar to find the big char and then get them to bite even when they're in the deeper water hmm that would be interesting. I'd, yeah, I'd like to get one and, you know, do whatever that guy does because he catches big ones. Right, yeah. We'll have to team up <laughs> with that guy. <laughs> Just pick his brain, use his, you know, as best you can. Yeah. Maybe he'll apprentice maybe he'll apprentice you. Um, that would <laughs> I be wish. fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other big plans you got coming up for your outdoor stuff? Or is it that's kind of where you're you're putting your chips in that basket? That's, that's what I'm doing right now. That's, that's my, my main focus. I'm just working a lot, um, saving up, trying to get the equipment I need, you know, snow machines and different things. And so I'm, yeah, pretty much putting my chips in that basket and spending a lot of time on the lakes, trying to dial in the fishing really well and, you know, stay on the big ones. So, uh, how much ice you got up there right now? We're we've actually had a really warm winter this year so we're sitting around 24 to maybe 30 inches okay so you're really not that different than what we got going on here in northern minnesota yeah. so i guess seem to have some pretty cold weather down there so yeah uh minnesota's like it's, it's it, when the jet stream jet stream dips way south we get blasted you know, we're probably yeah. the coldest yeah. place in North America, North Dakota, Minnesota. You know, we get we get hit pretty pretty rough. And of course, there you know you got the ocean that kind of keeps you a little bit more temperate. I think at times. Yeah, I mean, Wasilla, we're we are right on the coast sea level. I mean, we're right right here, base basically a coastal town. So yeah, yeah, that, that definitely a lot warmer. If you go, if you make a drive up into some of the interior lakes, like up in the tundra, that they, they'll definitely have a lot more ice. Um, a lot colder temperatures, but yeah, sure. I I get some warm weather down here. So the light the light thing is still an issue. Like what time? What 
what time does it get dark? Oh man, it makes it so hard. It's <laughs> we're we're starting to get some more light. It's I think sunset is at five o'clock right now in okay. the afternoon. And so, you know, I can now I can skip out of work a couple hours early and go hit the lake. I couldn't do that a couple months ago. Right. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to me. I feel like we should, that would be more drastic because that's right about where we're at. It's about five o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think during the winter solstice, the darkest day, I think sunset is like 345 or three, somewhere around there. And then, I mean, the sun rises at like 11 or something like that. So it's, during late December, early January, it's very dark, very dark. But yeah, we're starting to light back now. That's the, uh, that 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 whole thing. That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. This bonkers too. <laughs> <laughs> Just to think, because people think it's even weird here. Like, you know, my friends in the southern United States, where they're just like, "Why is it dark already?" I'm like, "Cause it's winter." What? <laughs> that's, that's just nuts. I'm like, "Yeah," but then they come here in the summertime, and it's still light out at ten o'clock. Or quarter to ten, you know, and they're like, "This is wild." I'm like, well, yeah, welcome to the globe, buddy. Like, How it works. That's <laughs> what happens when you fall asleep in science class. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and, it, and it's really hard when you go out for a day of fishing and you have like four or five hours of daylight. You know, it, it, in the heart of winter, it's yeah, you don't have too much time. Yeah, for sure. Um, real quick before I wrap this up, like, um, are they a low light? species does that seem to matter or they kind of bite all throughout the day um they actually for me lately they've been biting a lot during the low light hours you know just as it barely starts to get light in the morning and then as it's getting dark in the evening they definitely have a little uh feeding frenzy thing that happens um like a lot of other fish species okay yeah seems pretty typical just wasn't quite sure if like that changing that drastic of like changing light cycles played that big of a role, but it sounds like it does. So, yeah. It, def- it definitely helps the bite a lot. Cool. Well, Gunnar, I appreciate you taking some time out and, uh, having this conversation. This was a lot of fun. You'll have to keep us posted when, uh, when you get that guide service fired up, uh, shoot me a message. We'll, I'll have you come back on and pump that out for you. Yeah, that sounds great. And, and let's try and, let's try and get you up here one of these days. Yeah, maybe well. get We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I need to. I need to. Get, I really need to get to Alaska. Like, I really, really, really do. Of course, in my mind, I'm like more like everybody. I'm kind of in my mind doing like the summer thing. But yeah, you know, tickets yeah. to Alaska in winter are probably cheaper. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> so find a hotel in the winter. Right. Yeah, find a budget. <laughs> I do. I, like, it has to happen because I do need to catch one of those Arctic char. They're just, they are so cool. Just, They're very, very cool. Yeah, I would have, have to budget in. Like, part of my trip is going to have to be the taxidermy bill because that's why I'm going there. <laughs> like, legit. Like, that is why I'm going there, to get a just turned yeah. on bright male char. Right. Like, that's what well, I want. Nothing looks cooler on the wall than a big orange char. So. Dude, I'm telling you, they are one of the coolest fish that swim, man. Just pure aesthetics. They're- like, they... They are awesome. They're, they're amazing. Yeah, they're so cool. Well, let everybody down, know where they can find you. They want to follow your adventures. Sorry, I didn't hear you cut out for a second there. Oh, sorry. I said let them know where uh, people can find you 
um, follow your adventures, your social media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my Instagram, I think you said it earlier, is just gunner underscore L907. Um, and then my TikTok account is just gunner underscore Lewis. Um, and um, I don't have a any social medias for my guiding yet because you know i haven't started it or anything but um if if people want to follow me and stay in touch for when i do start guiding just my normal instagram uh people are more than welcome to message me on there and so yeah that's where i post most of my videos and stuff yeah they're pretty cool i watched a few of them and checking out your your photos it's it's really not healthy for me to do that like i started daydreaming <laughs> really bad but <laughs> well i'm gonna keep posting so yeah no I, I look forward to it it's great i'm i'm glad i stumbled i'm glad i found that tiktok page i'm glad i stumbled upon you and uh this was yeah, a lot of fun you. yeah i really appreciate yeah. it all right i appreciate it it was fun all right dude well, we will we'll, we'll talk again all right yeah we'll stay in touch for sure awesome dude later all right bye bye, bye.